Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. This week's lesson is called The Indestructible Hope That God Offers Us In The Midst Of Our Crucibles. If we maintain our hope until the end, then we attain eternal life. 1 Peter 1.9 Please join us for this important study. On our panel today, we have Alan Sonta and Gail Fong. Welcome, Alan. Welcome, Gail. Before we start, shall we begin with prayer? Bow our heads. Dear Lord, please help us to understand through this panel discussion more what it means to have hope in the midst of crucibles. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let us begin with Gail. Question one. When we are hurting, it's easy to presume that what happens to us is the only thing that matters. But there is a larger picture that we should look at, isn't there, Gail, when we're in this situation? That's so true, Stephen. And just turning to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, and the Bible says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. So we find that right there in heaven itself, uh, Satan, who raged war against God, raged war against God. And as we read down a little later in verse nine, it tells us that Satan and his angels were actually cast out of heaven. And when they were cast out, they were cast out to this earth. And so now he's raging war with, uh, with, with human beings, with people on this earth. So we are caught up in rather great controversy. And the Bible says in First Peter um, chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter describes Satan's attitude that he's going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when you think about it, he's, he's seeking whom he may turn against God. Wow. So that certainly explains why we seem to be in a war of of different types, like both physical and spiritual warfare. Um, Alan, in what way, is there any other way that the Bible tells us that this war affects um, the world? Yes, indeed. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pains together until now. So the effects of sin are not confined just to human beings. The whole creation is affected. Yes. Thanks for that. Now we've looked at the the problems of this world in a general sense. Let's um, focus and and look at more detail about um, the problems that w- and the crucibles that we have and the hope we can have by turning to the, the book of Uh, Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Can you give an overview of the book that will help us to understand this in the very first chapter of Habakkuk in the first four verses, Gail? Well, 
when Habakkuk um, begins his ministry or as uh, this book is written, we, we understand that the 10 tribes of the north have already been taken into captivity because of their apostasy. So there's really only Judah and Benjamin now in the south. And Habakkuk, he's uh, viewing the situation of Judah and um, he's actually expressing a lot of perplexity. He's quite distressed and he's quite upset about the condition that he's finding happening with his countrymen. And he's seeing a lot of sins. He's seeing a lot of sins and a lot of evil that is apparently um, appearing to go unnoticed by God because he, he says there in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? So he's expressing his woe that God appears to be silent amidst all the evil that's happening in Judah. Yes, and indeed Habakkuk, more than any other prophet, is concerned about one, about the name of Jehovah, their God, and also the fact that God is using, you know, pagan nations to, to um, terrify by God's people. Um, but in light of uh, Habakkuk's cry to the Lord in verse 2, um, we'd expect God to say something like, that's really terrible, Habakkuk. I'll, resp I'll, I'll help it out. I'll, I'll fix this problem immediately. But does the Lord God answer that way, Alan? Not at all. In fact, uh God basically tells Habakkuk that worse is yet to come uh, with the Babylonians adding to the problem caused, by, uh, caused to Israel by the Assyrians. Uh, the Babylonians are now going to come and they're going to carry away the people of Judah. But the way God puts it, I'm sure Habakkuk must have understood there's a reason for this. Yes, and, and hearing this distressing news um, that God really doesn't seem to be wanting to help. What does Habakkuk do then, Gail? Well, it's interesting, just carrying on for what um, Alan shared there. He's, he's actually, he's questioning God's justice here because surely the Babylonians are far more wicked than they are in Judah. And so he's speaking for his people and he's appealing to God and he's not really understanding um, exactly what God, why God would take this direction. And so um, he, as he's looking at the sins of Judah, he and he's expressing his um, concern to God about God's ways. He's also, though, in the midst of all that God is showing him, he expresses hope. And that's in verse 12, where he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. So with the next dialogue between verse 12 and 17, as he's talking with God, in the end, he just has to say in verse 2, he says, well, I'll just stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he was willing to sit back and let God explain and just, talk Just wait and see what God would do. Yes. So as, we, as he waits to see and we go into chapter 2, does God offer um, deliverance from the Chaldeans or the Babylonians in chapter 2 at all, um, Alan? He certainly does not. In fact, uh, Habakkuk finds himself sandwiched, if you like, between the problems 
created by the Assyrians and the fact that um, uh, the Babylonians are going to come. And uh, God says, the just shall live by faith. So God doesn't, doesn't uh, give him the answers, but he says, just wait, have faith, and you will understand. Yeah, it's very important text that because Paul quotes that text, the just shall live by faith, both in Romans and in later in Galatians. So all Judah could look forward to, I mean, the northern kingdom's gone, uh, was to be in exile and captivity in Babylon. What sort of hope would there be for the nation in, in this situation, Gail? Well, that's where the promises of God come in. And Isaiah, he writes this beautiful promise, and I'm just reading it from the NIV version, which says in Isaiah 41:13, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. That's a powerful promise. I love to claim that promise so, even So today. he doesn't offer deliverance, but help through the crisis. Exactly. And God's presence, although it seems very far away to the Jews while in, in exile, yet he's going to be with them through their captivity. He's going to be so close. It's like he's holding their right hand. He hasn't forgotten them. And though they are in dark places, uh, there, there was every reason for hope for them during their captivity. Thank you for that. Now, it's very easy that um, there is a danger that we're reading these stories and that's what they remain stories. And But some people might think, well, this was 2,600 years ago. What relevance um, can we glean from the, this in, in 2021 or 2022? That we are in well, actually, the situation is much more similar than one would expect because we find ourselves in the same situation in salvation history as Habakkuk did back in the Old Testament because we are approaching a time of extreme trouble. And um, the uh, book of Revelation warns us that, uh, that there's big trouble to come. So just as Habakkuk uh, makes his prayer to God, so we can do the same. And I'd like to turn your attention to the prayer that Habakkuk... Uh, and praise amidst the prayer, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, um, and the promise that God gave to Habakkuk. So <clears throat> this is what we find God uh, saying to him in his situation, which is very relevant to us today. It says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Now notice all of this is a description of a very terrible situation in a pastoral and rural economy like uh, Habakkuk was in. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk is basically saying, look, it doesn't matter what I see around me. It can be as bad as bad can be, but I'm going to trust in God because I know that ultimately he's going to look after things in his own good time. In his own good time. And so we need to have that same attitude. Is that right? We need to be full of hope because God has made those promises. Yes.
Another person in the Bible who had to have that same faith was the man called Job, who had a book named after him. Let's move to that book. Tell me, what experience did Job go through in the first two chapters, Gail? Yes, well, here we see that Job, he went through the most devastating uh, trials or catastrophes that one could go through. And it's, uh, it shares with us that he lost all his oxen, he lost all his um, donkeys, he lost his sheep, he lost his camels, absolutely every single one of them and the servants that were caring for them. Only one servant always seems to survive to be able to come back and share the terrible news with, with Job. But then it even goes further to say that they're all his children, his sons and daughters, ten children. ten children, which is a lot of children to lose in one go. And again, each one of those perished uh, as a mighty wind struck the elder brother's home. And only one servant again remains to come to share this news. So he loses everything. And then in chapter two, we find that his health is attacked and he breaks out in boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. But the amazing thing is that despite all his suffering, despite all his loss, which is unexplainable to him at the time, he he did not blame God. And uh, he, he says in all this, the Bible says uh, in verse um, I think it's 10 there. It says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Isn't that amazing? He kept his hope. And it seemed God. to be his suffering was caused because of his strong faith in God, not despite it. Um, so he gets three friends who come and visit him. Um, he calls them miserable, his miserable uh, comforters in Job chapter 16, verse 2. And they're basically saying something like, Job, you sinned, you need to repent. Obviously, they didn't help. Um, then God appears on the scene. Does God give Job any hope in his suffering, Alan? Well, no, because um, we, um, we find that, uh, that uh, God doesn't talk about the problem. He simply goes straight to the big issues and he says to Job, here, you can answer some questions. And uh, so Job says, and listens to the questions and in the end he says, I'm, I've got nothing to say. Yeah, so, Job, so God asked Job 66 questions I counted yeah. um, and over 60 questions. Things like, uh, who is this that obscures my plans with, with words without knowledge? And where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Obviously, he wasn't there. What was the point of these questions and the ultimate hope? I mean, he never answered the question of why he was suffering, Gail. What mm. hope was God offering in, in all these, in these questions and, and these problems? Well, <clears throat> Job had three friends that came to comfort him. Well, one would hope they had come to comfort him. But these friends... Uh, turned out to be not so comforting to Job. And when you're really suffering, it is such a blessing to have someone just to come and just commiserate with you or just to show some compassion. But here they're basically saying that Job, look, 
it's because of your sin. You must have done something that has caused all this suffering toward you. And um, but God, he has some lessons to teach them all. And um, but here Job calls his friends in chapter 16 and verse two. He says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. So God does need to step in and God does need to reveal himself. Yes. And so the ultimate hope that God offered um, Job was was finding, um, was recognizing, showing them a glimpse of his omnipresence and omniscience. And uh, this worked because Job said in in Job 40 verses 4 and 5, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I will put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I'll speak no more. So though he was perfect, as God said, he had room to grow. Um, Thanks for that. Now, let us go back to Judah in in exile and their plight in Psalms 137 verse 1 is reflected in a verse that says um, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion Zion is obviously the home back in Jerusalem what reasons of hope are given by the prophet Jeremiah uh, Alan uh, for Judah while they were in captivity well, the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29, we find uh, Jeremiah talking about this situation. And in verse 4, the first reason for hope is I have caused to be carried away. I, uh, sorry, I'll read the verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then it goes on to to talk there. In other words, God says, I am the one who uh, caused you to be carried to Babylon. So you've got every reason to hope because it's my doing. And then further down in verse seven, this seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord of it for in its peace, you will have peace. So the second reason for hope is God says, pray for Babylon because as Babylon is peaceful, so you will be peaceful. And finally, in verse 10 of the same chapter, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So the third reason for having hope is that God says, it's not going to last forever. I've put a time limit on it. In 70 years, you're going home. So God is saying that they had a purpose for being there, in other words. Yes. And he'll be with them while they're there. And he promises them to return. So what beautiful promises of hope are given after verse 10, um, Gail, to those whose lives seem to be in turmoil, turmoil in captivity? Just reading on in from verses 11 to 14 of Jeremiah chapter 29. And the Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I came, which I cause you to be carried away captive. So it's a wonderful, wonderful promise there. And we can claim those promises today when we're facing crucibles and when yes. we are going through That's important. situations. They're probably one of my favourite um, Old Testament Bible texts in those verses. Let us move on to the New Testament book of Hebrews that gives us good lessons about maintaining faith during uh, crucibles in our lives. What does Hebrews chapter 11 tell us about the hope during these crucibles, Alan? Hebrews 11 lists the people who through faith have been victorious in life, have fulfilled God's purpose and so on. So um, the people that have, have been uh, persevered against incredible odds in chapter 11 uh, and uh, their experience shows us how that they look to Jesus. And so I'd like you to look at chapter 12 and verse 2, which says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the, at the right hand of the throne of God. So these people who endured all that, they were looking to Jesus. And that, that's important for us to remember during our turmoil or crucibles, isn't it, Alan? And as we, um, the, the beginning of chapter 12 also gives us important points which we can um, use to retain hope during our trials, doesn't it, Gail? Yes, uh, it does, Stephen. And just reading in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through to 7, it says, And you have forgotten, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor, his, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chasing, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? So here we see that uh, Paul describes trials in the context, context of discipline. And uh, there's various forms of the word discipline that appear uh, in these verses. And in the Greek world, the word, the word for discipline that was the most basic word exchange was, educa was education. So to understand discipline, we have to understand how God educates us in the school of trials. And those, those trials build our faith. And that's what Alan was sharing about before. And from this, Paul describes, this is how we walk. God, this is how God is building us. That's so important to me because I begin to recognize that the trials in my life are a means of preparing me or improving me or disciplining me. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So what other key elements can we glean from chapter 12 that could give us hope amongst crucibles, Alan? Well, there's a 
um, a key element that Paul mentions in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. <clears throat> and this is, what, uh, this is what he says. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now we can easily miss the significance of this verse because what it's saying is God doesn't waste his time on uh, training and disciplining those that have no future because God counts us as his sons and daughters and therefore because we are his sons and daughters so he invests in us the discipline that is needed to develop our characters and to help us to grow in a way that will bring honour to him, but also joy and hope to us. That's very important, isn't it, Alan? Mm. So those who are disciplined in trials and suffering are his sons and daughters whom he loves. Yes. On the other hand, he says, those who aren't being disciplined are able to live whatever they like. They're not suffering. They, he calls them basically bastards or they don't have a heavenly father. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so now let, let's look at the source of um, our discipline. What is the source of our discipline? That is our trials, Gail. Well, according to the scriptures there, we were reading before that the chastening of the Lord. And so, well, some come although from, from, this, from Satan and from his evil angels or from, from wicked people, but God allows the crucible or the trial to come um, because as he does this, there's valuable lessons as we've been discussing that it's going to be building our character and building our trust and our faith in God. And we understand that the devil loses his power as we hold on by faith to the hope that God offers That's us. That's important. So even though God might not be the, the source of these trials, they may, might come from, or they usually come from Satan and other sources, he claims responsibility for them in that he allows them to happen to us. Yes. Is that right? That's correct. And yes. um, so what should be our response to these trials or crucibles, Alan? Well, our response needs to be positive and hopeful because without, without the, uh, the trials, we just don't develop character. This word crucibles, I've been thinking about during our discussion. A crucible is, is, a, is, a, is a piece of equipment in which metal is, is melted down so that it can be turned into something valuable. Now, a goldsmith or a silversmith uses a crucible to, to melt the, the precious metal. And by the way, they, they don't melt ordinary things. It's precious metal that's melted in crucibles. And, and from that crucible, which just looks like a liquid, from it, the goldsmith or the silversmith is able to make things of great value. And so that's why the word crucible, I think, is used as a figure of speech here, because it refers to the way in which God uses us. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Gail. That's all we have time for. And just in, uh, finally, in Hebrews 12:11, the goal of these crucibles is to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in us. At times we are bound to experience disappointment and utter discouragement, but this week's lesson challenges us to look at the bigger picture, that in these trials or crucibles, God is seeking to prepare us for heaven by producing in us 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When we understand this, Satan loses his power over us. And for this reason, we should be grateful and retain indestructible hope in the midst of crucibles. We are glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. If you want to watch this or any of the past programs, they can be found on our website, 3abnus.org.au. If you wish to respond, you can email us. Please do join us again. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au We'd love to hear from you.